It is the story of, or genetic line that came from a person or event. A toledote is a group of different verses in scripture that somewhat encapsulate a family's lineage or story. They can sometimes overlap. They don't necessarily come right after one another. Genesis 2, 4 to 4, 26 is the toledote of creation. We've studied all that. Genesis 5 is the toledote of Adam. It says here at the top, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Genesis 6, 9 is the toledote of Noah. There are 10 toledotes in Genesis. Moses wrote the book of Genesis while the Israelites were wandering in the desert. The stories gave the Israelites a place in history and identity. They would need to know these things about their patriarchs and people who had come before them. They've been enslaved in a country for 400 years. They were going to be going out into the promised land, and God needed them to know about their history. So this kind of reminded me, I'm going to age myself right here. If you've ever seen the show Roots, remember that back in the 70s? I remember the part where um, Alex Haley, a.k.a. James Earl Jones, went to Africa, and he was hearing from the local tribes. He... For those of you who are young, (laughs) Alex Haley was a man who wanted to trace his roots back to Africa and how his relative had come over as a slave. So he went to Africa. He went to the village. He heard the tribal people. Long, long history of going through all the names, all the names. If you remember the show, it went on for quite a while. And then he heard them say, Kunta Kinte, who was his relative. And he was joyous. And he said, I found you. I found you. Think about that for these Israelites. They would want to know the history of these people who had come before them. Centuries worth. So that would be a lot to remember. (laughs) And they would not have a copy for everybody. So they would have it written down, but they'd need to um, know it orally. We're going to go to a passage in a couple minutes about how they had a rhythm to it to help them remember. Okay, so these were the toledotes. That's what we were talking about. Okay, so let's go to Matthew 1.1, if you have your Bibles. Um, We're going to talk about Jesus' toledote. In Matthew 1.1, it says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If we read further in Matthew, you'll see more of the details of the generations. But this first verse kind of gives a summary with the most important patriarchs in in Jesus' lineage. In Genesis 5.1, we have the origins of the first Adam. And in Matthew, we have the origins of the last Adam, who is Jesus, the Lord from heaven. Let's go to Luke 3.23, which I have here. Okay, now look at this. That's a lot of people. So when Jesus began his ministry, he was about 30 years of age, being the son of, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of, and it goes on and on and on. Okay, and if we go down to verse 36, voila, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxed, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech. It goes all the way back. Here is how God provided the one that would crush the serpent's head, as was written in Genesis 3. And it's, yes. Um, Luke, uh, sorry, 3. Sorry. Um, Yep, starting verse 23. Luke 3, verse 23, all the way down through. So you see the entire line of Jesus. 
I think that's very cool. Honestly, I have never read this until I started teaching this because these are one of these, okay, okay, okay. You know, it came from a long line. So it's important to go back and read these because you see little things in there. Okay. So we're going to go back to chapter five. I'm not very good at this camera thing. Okay. <clears throat> All right, ladies, I'm going in. Going deep. We're going to do this. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth, Seth lived after his, he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Uh, Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Then Jared lived 162 years. He fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch oh, walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Oh, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We'll come back to that. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and named him Noah, saying on the, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from our painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, uh, 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 Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that's where we're going to stop. <laughs> Notice in the, it is the firstborn and the other, listed and the other children are listed as, and had other sons and daughters. I read this and I wondered how I would feel about that. I am not the firstborn. I have an older brother, but I'm the first girl. <laughs> and actually, I have two daughters and I have a sister. So when we start talking about this older daughter thing, the two of them are like, oh, great, here they go again. You know, they don't want to hear it. And I know they're kidding, but I think part of it is like, really? But we just look at them and say, well, you're the baby, so you got everything, so it's all good. Um, <clears throat> notice in this lineage there are not women mentioned by name, nor are women ever usually mentioned in the Bible in these lineages. One thing that when I started to study this back in August, that I, 
had an overwhelming feeling like God wanted me to tell you something. And every time I would sit down to study this, it was like, don't forget, tell them. And I wanted to pause and say something about this. It really, it bothered me. But then I felt like God was telling me to tell you that he sees you. That he sees you in your struggles. He sees you in your joys. He sees you in your um, struggle with your husband. Not feeling loved, not feeling noticed. He sees you in your struggle with your coworker who drives you crazy. He sees you as you take care of your older parents. He sees you and he's concerned about you and he loves you and he protects you. And it just kept coming to me that I, we need to know that. We need to know that in our deepest, deepest recesses of ourselves, that God sees us. And I feel like women, we often don't get acknowledged for things as moms, as wives, even if you're not married and don't have kids. In life, women often don't get noticed for things. And I think it's part of our nature to be, that's okay. We got it. We're okay. And I, was, I wonder if that's what God is doing at this. They'll be okay. But it does not mean anything about us being diminished in God. It is not that the men are more important. We are just as important. He talks in the Bible about knowing every hair on our head in Matthew. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are far more valuable than many sparrows. So please think about that, that you are seen by a loving God who wants nothing but to have a relationship with you. No matter what you're going through, you are seen and you are loved and you are cherished. And I just really, every time I looked at this, he's like, don't forget, tell them this. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Okay, so there is a rhythm in these verses. And when I taught kindergarten, we'd use a lot of rhymes and a lot of songs. How many of you remember I before E, except after C, or when sounded as A, as in neighbor and way? And the back row is going, what are they talking about? <laughs> um, but it was a nice way to remember when you're spelling words like receipt. Does it come, is it R-E-C-I-E, or is it E-I? So it's after C, so it's E-I. <laughs> okay, so there is a rhythm to this. Let's look at verse 6. How old the man was is the beginning of the... Let's go back to uh, verse 6 here. Okay, so if you look at this, how old the man was, who he fathered, at what age he fathered him was the first part. How long he lived after, and he had other sons and daughters. How many years he lived overall. And then they all ended with, except for one, they all ended with, he died. He died. There's a change in rhythm when Enoch says Enoch walked with the Lord. And there it is there. Okay. Enoch was seventh from Seth. Again, that perfect number. Who was the seventh we just talked about from Adam on Cain's side? Lamech, the horrible Lamech. You also notice there was, there's two Lamechs and there's two Enochs, one in the righteous line, one in the unrighteous line. I'm not sure why they would do that. But Enoch's name means dedicated. He was a prophet. And what does it mean that God took him? 
Notice that the verse says Enoch walked with God after he had Methuselah. Something changed in Enoch after his birth. Enoch was a prophet and a righteous man. Through prayer and obedience to God, he had close fellowship and communion with God. He abided with God. What does abide mean? Abide means staying close, to remain, continue, stay, being in prayer and relationship with God. As part of your homework, you are supposed to look up Hebrews 11, 5 through 6. I would highly encourage you to look up the whole chapter of Hebrews. It's sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. And this book has some great um, stories about the people who showed tremendous faith in God and how God responded to their faith. What did Enoch prophesy? In Jude, it says, verse 14, it was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain gain advantage. So here's Enoch, this godly man, telling all of the people around him, God is coming, and he's not happy, and he's going to bring his judgment on all of you who have been ungodly. So Enoch was taken up so he would not see death because of his faith in God. The only other person that did not experience death and was taken up by God was Elijah. Elijah was approximately 25 centuries later. 2 Kings 2.11 says, and as they, and they're talking about Elisha and Elijah, okay? Elijah was the one that was taken up. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. It is significant that Enoch prophesied midway between Adam and Abraham. Enoch was halfway. And between Abraham and Jesus, Elijah was halfway. So these two men who were both taken up because of their faith in God um, were right in the middle of these important times. They both uh, preached and prophesied in a time of apostasy as well. Apostasy means abandonment or renunciation of a religious belief. They turned against their organized religion, the abandonment of previous loyalty or defection. So we've seen this in these passages, that the people were against God. They were not seeking God. And Elijah, or sorry, Enoch was prophesying to these people to turn from their ways. Let's look back at another notable person in this lineage. Enoch's son was Methuselah. Anyone know anything interesting about Methuselah? He's the oldest recorded man in the Bible, and that will help you in jeopardy one day. He lived to be 969 years. Remember, as we read, Lamech was Noah's father. This was the good Lamech, and let's do some math. How old was Methuselah when he had Lamech? It was 187 years, and he lived 782 more, so he lived to be 969. That is actually five years longer than his own son. He lived longer than Lamech. 
How old was Noah when the flood came? Do you remember? He was 600. And Methuselah died the year of the flood. The meaning of Methuselah's name is not 100% clear. Some have translated it as, on his death it shall come. When he is dead, it shall be sent. So here we have Enoch prophesying about the Lord coming to execute judgment. And then he names his son Methuselah. On his death, it shall come. And then the flood or God's judgment on humanity comes. Anyone know what Noah's name means? Comfort and rest, which is a nice hopeful name for a new humanity. Okay, let's go on to chapter 6. It's going to get a little bit weird again. (laughs) Okay, so when man began to multiply on the face of of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. So that makes sense to you guys, right? We're going to keep moving. No, it's so weird. What? (laughs) What does this mean? (laughs) So you're not in. um, You're not isolated in this. Scott, I, I looked up so many different commentaries, and they all had like three different reasonings of what it could possibly mean. So on your homework, just put a big star. You got it right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> one thing that did seem consistent was that the sons of God were considered righteous and the daughters of man as being unrighteous. And that was a consistency. But who, what all that meant, we'll ask when we get to heaven. I heard this group over here talking about asking... <laughs> about stuff when you get to heaven. I was like, yes, I'm with you. I want to know what the questions are, where the question line is, because I got a lot. Okay, so then verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old and the men of renown. Great. That's simple, right? <laughs> then the Lord said, this is the part I want to talk about. My spirit shall not abide in man forever. His day shall be 120 years. The consequences of man's sin is a restricted life of 120 years. In withdrawing his spirit, the Lord no longer graciously preserves their lifespan. One commentary stated that the attempt by man to become more than he is results in his becoming less. Now let's talk about these Nephilim. The Nephilim were product of sons of God, the sons of God mingling with the daughters of Adam, the great biblical giants, the fallen ones, the Rephaim, the dead ones. These are descriptions all applied to this one group in the Hebrew Bible. Scholars don't agree on these either. They are mentioned here, and they are mentioned after the flood in Numbers 13.33, when the scouts were sent to look into the promised land to see if they could take it. And only Joshua and Caleb said yes. The others said there were giants there. And it says in Numbers, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Since they are mentioned after the flood, that would contradict that they were offspring from the sons of God and the daughters of man or any other procreation situation. (laughs) More likely, it was a term to mean a group of specific people. Again, get in the line of questions when you're in heaven, and we'll ask God. Okay, so 
the Lord saw the wickedness, wickedness. Oh, this is. The Lord saw the, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This just gripped me to know that God was grieving that he had made man, that he was sorry that he had made man. And it just feels like these verses, God is sharing his heart. And he's kind of done. He's finished. He's had enough. He, when you look at Methuselah, he was 969 years old. He was very patient until he brought the flood. He had had enough. It almost seems like God was having a reckon, reckoning with man. He wanted to have a right relationship with man. A reckoning is an avenging or punishing of past mistakes or misdeeds. And I, this kind of made me do a little self-reflection as well. Um, have you ever felt like you were grieving God? Have you ever felt like what you were doing, how you were living, was grieving God? Um, they say that when you have um, a father who is very legalistic and strict, um, which I had, um, that sometimes your view of God can be a little bit skewed because you, you're used to that authority figure being like that. And as when I was young, um, I felt like that. Like, if I better obey or God's going to take something from me or God's going to punish me. Never, it was never like in a loving way. It was in a, you know, as one of the girls in my group said, putting the hammer down. You were going to get in trouble, so you better do the right thing. And that was my own immature view of God. As I got older, I realized that God will discipline those he loves, and he will bring us into a right relationship with him how he needs to. And I just ask you to think about where you are right now. Um, I was going to do some more stuff, but we're running close on time. We're going to talk about some situations in my life that I'm not proud of where I was not abiding with God. I was not walking with God, even though I was a believer. I went to church. Yay, that was it. People could look at my life and not even realize that I was a Christian. But I was going to church, so I was doing the right thing. And um, this went on through our marriage as well. And it just I felt like I went through a time of reckoning um, about uh, 18 so years ago when we were in, um, we lived in England. My husband and I went through a lot. I went through a lot of physical um, situations where I uh, just did not have good health. I ended up having a lot of anxiety, panic attacks in the ER, and all this kind of, and I really look back at that time as a struggle, but I also know it was a time where we ran to God instead of running away or thinking we could do this on our own. We ran to God, and we um, asked for forgiveness, and we reconciled. My husband and I reconciled, and we forgave each other, and um, we asked God to forgive us. And from that point on, we, we just as quickly as we moved to England, um, literally 
48 hours we were given to move back here to the States. <laughs> My husband went on to uh, Saudi Arabia and um, did the shock and awe stuff during Iraq of Freedom. And our girls and I had to move home in 48 hours. And we look at that as, you know, that was God's timing. We were sent over there and we thought it was going to be um, really kind of a God forsaken place, which I look back now and I'm like, why did I think British people didn't believe in God? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but we found a wonderful, loving church who, during that very difficult time in our lives, loved on us, supported us. They were amazing. And um, we just actually were able to go back there. And I got to see Kathleen, the 90 year old woman who was my Bible study teacher. And she was wonderful, and I got to tell her that I was teaching now. And um, it was really, really special. She was a, a wonderful Christian, strong Christian lady. And they just kept speaking God's word to us the whole time we were there. So when we came back, my husband and I were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this right. And we started abiding with God. So um, that was our own little mini, mini flood, maybe up to our ankles. <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you, do you hear water dripping? Do you hear rain in your life? Are you abiding? Are you just coming to church on Sunday? Are you just coming to Bible study on Tuesday night? Are you just checking the block? Or are you living close to God like Enoch did? Um, I just encourage you to start really um, having conversations with God on a regular basis, not just you know, when we gather together to pray um, and being in his word and studying. It's exciting that you guys are here and we're getting into this word. And I thank you for um, joining us through all these studies. And I hope that it is building your spiritual life. Um, but I just, I really want to encourage you to, you know, walk with the Lord more consistently. And we're going to close in prayer. Lord, um, I just thank you for these women, and I thank you that you got me through this teaching, Lord. I just really pray, Lord, that you would knock on these women's hearts and help prod them to be closer to you. Give them the opportunity for um, them to have time in their day to spend with you. Help them to realize you're not away, that you are always there for them, and that you see them. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.